Hi, this is Nath from the Big Top Network, and you're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast. This is Arnie. And this is Marjorie from Star Wars Action News Podcast. And the MarveliciousToys.com Podcast. And you're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast. This is Michael Crawford from MWCToys.com, and you're listening to the niftiest nerds on the net, Action Figure Blues Podcast. What's up, guys? This is Dave Vonner, and you're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast. This is Tim Bruckner, and you're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel Pickett from ActionFigureInsider.com and the Geek Shell Inherit Podcast, and you're listening to a very special 50th episode of Action Figure Blues. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure the kids are tucked in and the dogs have done their business because you're in for a special treat tonight. It's episode 50 of the Action Figure Blues podcast for the week of Wednesday, 6th of February, 2013. I'm Eli, and with me tonight are... Scott. And Ben. This episode is brought to you by ShelfLife.net and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, we celebrate our 50th episode with a very special interview with Mr. Randy Bowen of Bowen Designs. Welcome. How are we all? Very well. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. What have we been up to? Ben, what have you been up to? Uh, been a couple of weeks since I've been on. Can I just, you know, provide some feedback on episode 48 and just say that I can't believe I leave you clowns alone for <laughs> one episode and it just turns into a teenage girl slumber party. What? <laughs> episode 48 is just giggling continuously. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Oh, that was comedy gold. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, comedy gold, that's right. Have you right. um have you listened to the uh outtakes for forty nine? I haven't, not yet. Oh damn it. So, you really need to and it'll boost your self esteem for sure. Very good. Oh, I shall tomorrow. because um, speaking of which I've what have I been up to? I've actually been customizing. So it gives me an opportunity to catch up on a whole lot of podcasts. Um such as Marvelous Toys, etc., because I can just sit and paint and do whatever while I, I listen. And, yeah, I finished a couple of figures today, and uh, I'm paying the price for not paying attention to the time because I was using the, the Tamea putty earlier, and I didn't realise what time it was, and it sort of got to about five minutes before uh, I knew we were going on the air, so the whole room smells of fumes. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Scott? Well, first of all, happy 50th episode, gentlemen. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. Hard, hard to imagine. Seems like century. Seems like yesterday. It does. <laughs> um, first of all, I have to share that I am eating a amazing dessert made by my nine-year-old. I can't really um, describe. It's, in, it's like a parfait. It's in a beautiful parfait glass. It's got bananas and jelly and custard and berries and walnuts and wow. I hate um, to rain on your party, Scott, but did you bring enough for everybody? Yeah, I know. I, I wasn't the host in this instance. I can only, you know, I don't think it would um, fit through the uh, 
the internet very well, either it would be a bit gloppy, I think. Um, <laughs> we, we've been working on um, our, our nine-year-old. She's a fantastic, uh, fantastic in the kitchen, but she, um, you know, watches all the cooking shows and never sees anyone use a recipe, so she thinks that the way that you cook is you just whip ideas out of your head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have to try to say, like, you know, you've got to do a bit of research first. Like, you have to – we had three goes at chocolate mousse before we finally convinced her that maybe she needed to research what actually goes into a mousse because um, <laughs> it was more like, you know, gritty chocolate glop. But um, but she's doing really well now. Um, I had such a busy week I didn't come up with uh, a chance to uh, develop an amusing anecdote. That's how busy it was. Oh, no. I know. I'm just going to leave people wanting. I'm just going to eat my parfait instead. All right. Well, why are you doing I'll that? About, I'll talk about me then. Oh, yeah. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. No, I am. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have been busy playing board games with my son. That's a that's a thing we seem to be doing more of at the moment, which is good. And is this still the Star Wars one or others? Or? Yeah, we've been giving that a bit of a bash, but there's a couple other games that we've been playing, um, one called Small World, which is fun. Um, and uh, I also um, picked up my binding projects again for the first time in must be oh, two good. or three months. Yeah, Ooh. I actually um, mm. revisited my John Byrne Superman run and my Firestorm run, and um, I had... Um, Put those into some sort of order last time that I had them had them out, and I haven't actually bound them yet. I'm just getting them into order and chunking them into books so that I can put cover pages on them. And uh, realised, of course, that um, which was probably good because I picked them up again and looked at other people's reading order and thought, hmm, there's a few things out of whack here. So I mm-hmm. got to correct it before I actually go and put glue and <laughs> stitching on them. So. Probably for the yes. best. <laughs> Probably for the best, and I've ordered a couple of um, yeah, issues that were, have crossovers and stuff that fit in nicely, so it's all okay. Oh, excellent. Very good. Yes. So um, I'm a bit jealous. You two have uh, had a bit of a, 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 an interesting conversation that we're going to throw to later on. Mr Randy Bowen. Yep. Bit of a bit of a dream come true, I have to say. Yep. This is a great thing for our number 50 episode. Absolutely. It's, um, sorry, something that we've been, um, you know, probably talking about right from the beginning of starting the show, but have... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and Randy, you know, we had contact with him early on, but I really felt like I wanted us to um, get a few interviews under our belt and be confident in what we were doing um, because, you know, being such a major Bowen collector, it was pretty important to me. So I'm really happy with the way it turned out and hopefully the listeners will be as well. Yes. Well, before we, before we get to our Randy Bowen interview, so hold your horses, everybody. As part of being in the Big Top Network, a new thing for um, AFB Podcast, we have a new contest we'd like to announce. So, Scott, tell us a bit more about this. Oh, my pleasure. Well, we announced last week that we have joined the um, Big Top Network, which is an independent uh, podcast network, and... There is a big top contest happening between this episode and next, thanks to totally irreverent tease. Now, that's not irrelevant tease. It's irreverent, so just to be clear. And their website is totallyirreverent.com.au. And they are offering each podcast in the Big Top Network one free T-shirt for a lucky listener. So all you have to do is either go to our Facebook page or our Twitter 
feed and like the photo and it'll be in the in enhanced podcast it's just a a promotion for win a free totally irreverent tea you need to either like it share it or comment on it between this episode and the next and on the next episode we'll put all those people in a barrel well their names uh could be getting messy otherwise um <laughs> and uh we'll draw we'll draw a name out of the barrel and you will be able to choose a t-shirt of the style and size of your choice so am i able to win no well that sucks mm. yeah, sorry no <laughs> I mean, I I don't think so, but I, I I think it would not be appropriate. It would be a bit unfair. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I so guess it's... I guess having a look at the uh, the totally irreverent t shirt site, I think there's a few things that I could probably part cash for. Yeah, that's yes. right. One yeah. of the things that I really like about their site is that you can actually go in and start your search by size. So if you're a extra small like myself, <laughs> or you know, or something else, um, you know, rather than going through and seeing great t shirts that you want and seeing then that they don't have it in your size, you can actually search, um, filter it by size right from the beginning. And they've got, you know, quite a range of both, um, comic book, uh, film, video games, pop culture stuff. So there should definitely be something in there that our lucky winner will like. Yeah. Lots of cool. uh, Marvel, DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Very good. So totallyirreverent.com.au. Have a look and be sure to like or share or comment on the, the picture on our social media because you could win. Mm. So this is episode 50. It is. Coming up is number 52 in a couple of weeks. So that will be 52 weeks of episodes from us. Woohoo. Give or take a couple of Q&A shows. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, ben, not, we're not counting those, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they don't ben, a bit of an announcement for episode 52. Yeah, thank you, Eli. Um, we're coming up to episode 52, and as you're probably aware, if you're a regular listener, we like to do a little thing called Toy of the Week, where we talk in-depth about a specific toy. But every now and then, we like to throw it open to rapid-fire review style, which is where each of the hosts takes five minutes to quickly review an action figure in a bit of detail. But for episode 52, we would like you, yes, you, the listener, to submit a rapid-fire review. So if you'd be interested in doing a rapid-fire review, then you can go to the Action Figure Blues forum. That's afbforum.com. And uh, we'll post up a bit of a template there that you can go and have a look at. And we'd like you to submit your rapid-fire review in either MP3 or MP4 format by Sunday the 16th of February. So if you're interested, get your thinking caps on. Nice. So we need that uh, in MP3 or MP4 format, right? Yes. And it, we send it to podcast at actionfigureblues.com. That's correct. Brilliant. We can't yeah. wait. Now, obviously, we probably won't be able to use them all, so um, I'm not sure how we'll choose. But obviously, the nicest, nicer things you say about me, the more likely you are to get on the show, um, you know, et cetera, that's et cetera. Assuming, that's assuming you're on episode 52. That's right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I might be there. I'm pretty sure I will be. <laughs> In other announcements, um, we'll be running a new custom challenge on the AFB forum soon. So um, details are being worked on at the moment. Justin, a.k.a. Night Owl, is cooking something up as we speak. But uh, get your creative juices flowing and stay tuned for details. And if you're not already signed up, sign up to the forum and check out the AFB customs board. Lovely. Wow, busy announcements show. 
Isn't it what? I know. I would also like to announce that I really enjoyed my parfait. <laughs> great, great, great for you. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. After the break, Ben and Scott talk to Randy Bowen. Armor up, Iron Man. Engage interlock mechanics. Armor up, War Machine. That's Clinical B. Attach from battle computer module. My brain blast will make scrap metal of you. Not in this lifetime, Modoc. With my rings, I rule the land and sea. Hydro Armor Iron Man and action figures each sold separately. Well, we are truly privileged tonight to be joined by Randy Bowen from Bowen Designs. If you have listened to this show at all, you'll know that um, both Ben and myself are avid Bowen collectors, and so this is a bit of a uh, a geek boy's dream to be um, chatting to such a influential person in our community. Um, Randy, we really appreciate you making the time for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Scott and Ben. Glad to do it. Fantastic. Well, look, just um, for anyone out there who may not be aware of who you are, can you just give us a, a really brief, um, I guess, you know, introduction and background to both yourself and your business? Sure. Um, uh, boy, it was uh, been about 20 years ago. But I, I've been doing uh, sculpting since high school uh, in one form or another, not really seriously until about 15 to 20 years ago when garage kits first started becoming uh, a collectible or, or a hobby in the United States. Um, myself and a handful of other guys were, were sort of at the forefront of garage kits. And in 19, I think it was 92 when I... Uh, started the painted statue uh, version of Bowen Designs, and uh, we've been doing either Marvel, DC, or uh, Lucasfilm from time to time, um, some Disney things, uh, that sort of thing. But most people know us from our Marvel statues, and uh, pretty much it. So what's your own background in terms of, um, I guess, the, the content, first of all? You obviously um, know a fair bit about some of the Marvel characters. So are you a, a reader yourself from way back? or? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, it, I was uh, pretty poor as, as a child, so uh, we didn't really buy many comics. But if I would ever um, go get my hair cut or something like that, which was was not very often in the seventies. Uh, I would go to the Peace, uh, local barber shop. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I, I think you know. I, I thought, oh, how cool my dad was for letting me grow my hair long. But I think he he was fond of not paying the barber. But, uh, but that's where I got first got turned on to to uh, to comics. Uh, was at the barber shop and uh, things like that. And then when I could started making my own money, then I was. Pretty in deep with comics until uh, uh, I didn't rediscover comics until I was in my late twenties, around the time that uh, the it was almost a renaissance of American comics with Frank Miller's Dark Knight and uh, Miracle Man and and other comics like that that really got me into the next level of uh, storytelling. That's fantastic. So in, in terms of your sculpting, you mentioned that you did it casually in high school. What, what is your own artistic background? Mm, pretty 
much self-taught. Uh, just I've always enjoyed uh, drawing and painting, and uh, I, I always saw it as a, a way to make a living and, and not have to work all, all that hard. I mean, you can you can make it hard work, but it, it, I've had jobs uh, in construction and farming and all sorts of things. And uh, let's put it this way. Sculpting uh, gives you less calluses and more access to a refrigerator <laughs> on a regular basis ah, than, cool. than, than hard work. <laughs> so, you know, sculpting is, is a sort of a, a fairly uh, a unique hobby. So what did the, the 10-year-old Randy Bowen want to be? Um... Uh, I, I I just did not want to be poor. That's that's the only thing I can uh, remember. But uh, no, I since I was six, I always wanted to do some sort of art related job. I, I wasn't sure what it would be, um, but I but I had loved Ray Harryhausen movies, and it was it was mainly monster movies and comic books were my my childhood love. Um, but it wasn't until I had seen a segment on 60 Minutes that I saw uh, where they were developing toys, and I, I saw this group of grown men sitting around talking about uh, how a toy is developed, and they were talking to a sculptor, and, and I thought, man, somebody makes a living doing that. So <laughs> I, I kind of kept my eyes open and ears open for, for, for that type of work, but uh, still, you know, I had to. Okay, I thought, okay, you got to go to school. You got to uh, move someplace where they hire people to do this sort of thing. And uh, so it's just one thing at a time, you know. You just you have to. Uh, and oh, and the other thing was uh, the cool thing about doing art is when I would be in my uh, biology class or something like that. It was. You, to have the girls gathered around going, ooh, that is such a nice uh, ventricle on your heart that you're, you're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was a way to break the ice with, uh, with the lady folk. Well. So where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in uh, southeastern Washington State, um, Pacific Northwest of the United States. Uh, very small farming community, not a lot of... Uh, art going on mm-hmm. uh, things like that so i was i was the uh i was the art kid in town i was there was few and far between i i really didn't even know anybody else who did drawing or painting or anything like that mm. I'm always interested in creative people who have been successful, who have grown up outside of the creative community and how you actually managed to break into it um it's almost it it for me it wasn't it wasn't really a choice. It was just something I, I had to do. Even when I was working other manual labor jobs, uh, I would always be um, either sketching or, or, you know, even whatever, whatever. I had a job at a gas station once, and I, you know, sometimes somebody would bang on the, on the window and say, hey, what's going on? You know, I, I want to get some gas, and I <laughs> my nose buried in a sketchbook. <laughs> so what, what was the step that kind of took you from that, you know, person who <clears throat> did it as a hobby and a passion to actually um, becoming professional? Um, well, I, I had been getting paid to do art 
since high school, just uh, everything from designing T-shirts to sign painting to uh, doing caricatures at uh, corporate events and things like that. Hmm. Um, and so I would just, you know, I, I, when I, and I would have other jobs as well, but I just, I just knew that I wanted to do something. And I, so I, I followed the money, whatever I could make the most money at for a while. It was sign painting for a while. It was doing, uh, you know, Frazetta ripoff, uh, airbrush on the side of a van, <laughs> uh, you know, just really cheesy stuff like that. But, uh, um, just, I, I always knew that I wanted to do art and it took, it actually took me moving to California, uh, to be in a, in an area that had more of the arts. And, uh, so I went to art school and I worked at a, uh, a large company that did, uh, displays for shopping malls. Like I would sculpt giant seashells and, uh, <laughs> uh, carousel animals and I would have to, uh, uh, Oh, you know, design elf scenes for Christmas displays and things like that. Wow. And it was around it was around that time um, that uh, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, Mark Newman, who was doing some things for Hallmark and for a, a gift line as well. And uh, that's and that's when I first tried uh, Sculpey and things like that. Was working on a line with uh, Mark. Fantastic. Um, well, we, we have chatted to Mark as well, and he talked about, um, you know, how influential his relationship with you was in, in I guess, where his career is now. And I, I'd say it was the same for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Mark is, uh, I, he just has, he's just a natural talent. And uh, every time I see his stuff, I get inspired to uh, to try and do better work myself. He, he's just, it, not only is he a, fa- he a fantastic artist, but he... Uh, has a hell of a singing voice. As well. Oh wow! <laughs> he didn't no, mention sure. that. <laughs> no, he's he's just a he's just a great guy and very very funny and uh, um, you know he's just a and his wife is amazingly talented as well. Her painting is, is fabulous. Susan. Is just a yeah. Great. Um, you know, Randy, you mentioned uh, Ray Harryhausen earlier. Um, who are sort of your influences? I guess both then and now. Um, well, uh, Ray Harryhausen, you know, obviously, uh, just, I loved and still do love dinosaurs. I've got a, a full-size Allosaurus skull sitting in my office, um, and, and various dinosaur models and things like that. Um, but it was mainly, uh, uh, Harryhausen for the, the dinosaurs and for the Cyclops and all that sort of stuff. For comic books, I was a big, uh, Neil Adams fan, mm. um, I, I'm a huge Frazetta fan and uh, John Buscema. Um, oh man, there's so many, but I, I really didn't get into the the Marvel artists and and things until I was mainly a DC kid growing up because I, I grew up with the Adam West Batman TV show and and so I was mainly hooked on the DC stuff. Um, but uh, artistically, it's it's just all over the place it, as probably most most artists will tell you is it's just a it's a mix but i i would have to say frazetta harryhausen um, there's even weird uh influences from robert crumb and uh, <laughs> yeah he's he's actually stayed at my house before which was uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh 
episode in my life as well. Wow. But, uh, yeah, so they're, they're, it's all over the place, but mainly comic book guys, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Frank Rosetta, I think sort of for me, one of your most legendary pieces is still uh, The Death Dealer. And um, I remember reading some time back that you, you had to work closely with Frank because there were obviously elements of, of that particular image that, that I guess um, they're, they're not exposed to the viewer. So you had to sort of fill in the, the, the blanks like on, on the right hand side. And what was it like working with Frank? Um, he is, uh, just a, he, boy, how can I explain it? He's, he's like the typical guy. I think he grew up in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken, but you, you feel like you're talking to a character in a movie when you're talking to Frank <laughs> and he, he would, he goes, Hey, what are you sending me this for? What, what is it? What, what kind of crap is this? You know, he just had, had that New York attitude and, uh, and him and his wife were, were both, uh, lovely people. And for me, it was, it, it, I would be less starstruck meeting, uh, you know, Naomi Watts or you'd name the, name the starlet. I was just, you know, freaking out to, to meet Frazetta. Yeah, but, yeah. uh, when I, when I met him, I first met him at his house and, uh, he was, we went to dinner and he was serving us after dinner. It was, we were having coffee and cheese. <laughs> and uh in his in his uh studio in his house i i don't know what they were if they were getting ready to do a show or what but he must have had 20 or 30 paintings just stacked in the corner all the famous paintings that we've all seen in the, in the book yeah and uh i just i was amazed that all of these paintings that were such an influence on me as a kid were just sitting there in the corner. If, if I would have wanted to, if he would have went to the restroom, I could have just, you know, put him under an arm and ran out the door. <laughs> Except that Frank has a lot, had a lot of guns and I would have been dead before I had him down the driveway. But uh, no, he's uh, fantastic. And when, when I was working on the death dealer in particular, we, we mainly just talked about it. And then, uh, uh, you know, and then I, when I flew back home, I was working on it at my house and then I would at the back in the day this is before the internet and all that sort of thing I would uh, at first I was taking photos of it and it was a project I was I was working off and on for about six months um, between other jobs I was working at Dark Horse Comics at the time and so I would mail um, sketches to Frank because even the death dealer head itself yeah was in shadow yeah. And I and he goes, well, just sculpt it like the painting. I go, well, Frank, it's in shadow. Is it blank under there? What is it? He goes, he goes, I don't know. Just come up with something. So, so I, I did some sketches, and you know, I'm sending sketches to Frazetta to approve. It's like, are you, it's, forget it. So I did some sketches, and the, the, I think the sketches that I did ended up on the the packaging for the, yeah. the death yeah. dealer. But uh, um, but then Frank said no just do it like this. And he sent me the thing. I go, okay, of course, <laughs> but it took, it took me having to send the, the sketches for him to, to get off his butt and, and do the drawings to, yeah. uh, to, to, uh, for me to follow. Yeah. But then, but then, yeah, I just, I basically, uh, made up the other side of it and he said, yeah, it's fine. So, uh, and it was back and forth. Oh, one funny story about that is, uh, I had sent him the, the death dealer, head and helmet as just a head and shoulders 
study. And uh, he said, well, he goes, well, I put some clay on it. I used the clay you sent me, which was, you know, the Sculpey. He goes, but how do I, uh, how do I ship it back to you without it squishing? <laughs> well, you got to bake it. And he goes, bake it? And I go, yeah, you just put it in the oven for, you know, about 15, 20 minutes. And I told him exactly how to do it. You put it about 225, something like that. Oh, dear. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and so I get the call, and he goes, he goes, he goes, hey, this thing is exploded. I go, exploded? How could it explode? He goes, well, I stuck it in the microwave. Oh, like, no. And I go, no, not the microwave. I go, there's, there's a piece of aluminum inside the head. It's not good. <laughs> and so what am I going to do? Argue with an icon? <laughs> so I said, uh, well, no, but, but at least he got the point across. I still have that that smoky little head uh, somewhere. Uh, I'm just just seeing the title of your autobiography now, Randy, and I blew up Frank Frazetta's microwave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just I could just see him cussing me on the (laughs) continent that I ruined his microwave. That is hilarious. uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's my. I guess in a, a bit of a, a a bittersweet note, I uh, I remember seeing the the life size Death Dealer that was um, created for um, one of the, the the military groups in the U.S. and and then I actually remember reading that it was uh, was an unauthorized um, process. I, I thought that was quite quite amazing. Oh, that's a long story. I don't know yeah. if you guys get into that. But it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you tell me if you want to go down that path, but it, it was—it's uh, an interesting story. Sure, tell us. Yeah, t- yeah, tell us. Well, I'll—I'll I'll, I'll see if I can give you the the, the, uh, the Reader's Digest yep. version. Um, I got a call from a, a foundry uh, in Texas called Deep in the Heart, which uh, catchy name, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, they said that they they had a customer come in who said that he had done this death dealer sculpture. And yet, when they started to do their enlargement process, they noticed that there was this name, Randy Bowen, on it. And so they thought they'd better give me a call. And so the the person that brought it in and claimed to be the sculptor was Frank Frazetta Jr. <gasps> and Frank Frazetta Jr. was in a, uh, oh, he was in litigation with his siblings over the estate of his uh, parents, his uh, his mother had died, and the kids, the Frazetta kids, were arguing over who had the rights to the paintings and if they should be sold or you know liquidated for uh, you know per per the estate. And uh, so he was trying to make money on the side by uh, contacting this anti-terrorism group for the United States Army to have this thing made into this. Well, not one, but two huge monuments uh, uh, that was the sort of the mascot for this uh, this elite uh, anti-terrorism force, which what what the American taxpayers are doing buying giant death dealer statues <laughs> is, is beyond me. But uh, God bless them. Um, but uh, so anyway, I contacted Frazetta Jr. and and he said that he never said it was. Uh, his uh, he he never claimed it was his and and so I, I just washed my hands a bit. I just said, look, all I want is uh, to get some kind of credit on it and to uh, you know I, I wouldn't mind some sort of 
compensation for the use of this thing because, I mean, technically I made up the whole other side of this piece. Mm. Although, you know, Frank Frazetta, obviously he owns the image, et cetera. So uh, we made a, a, a settlement on, on uh, I, I never did get credit, but basically about two or three weeks after that went down, I had read in the paper that he had taken a, a tractor, a backhoe, yeah, and yeah. smashed open the doors of the Frazetta Museum and took all the paintings out. So all that was going on around the same time. But uh, I, I don't know how all that got resolved. All I know it was uh, it was weird being uh, tangentially uh, yeah. involved at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very sort of sad um, conclusion, I guess, to, to such an amazing man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I guess starting to move on towards um, what has become Bowen Designs. You mentioned being involved in the garage kit. Um, movement i guess just talk talk us through how that uh became what what bone designs is now um well i was again i was this was back when i was working for a uh a company that made displays for malls and things like that and a friend of mine uh brought me a modeling <clears throat> magazine that said sculptors wanted uh, this was a uh, probably the the first garage kit company in the in the U.S. It was called Lunar Models, and there might have been one or two other companies doing stuff at the time. But uh, I was first contract. I think my first model for them was the Morlock from the Time Machine, mm-hmm. and I had never done a an anatomical sculpture it had mostly well i had done a little bit but nothing that was so specific um, and so i started doing my own things and uh, uh I, I didn't know anything about licensing or or anything at the time until i got a cease and desist from 20th century fox because of a <laughs> predator model that i was doing but they uh, they actually, I think they passed my name along to Dark Horse Comics, who was wanting to start a uh, a uh, collectibles division of their their company. So I actually went to went to work for Dark Horse, and I then that's where I I sort of cut my teeth on learning the ropes of uh, what licensing was, what distribution was, and uh, and I was being contacted by companies from China. Uh, at the same time, I was doing uh, sculptures of Dragon Ball characters, and oh. uh, that's how I found out about what, how to get in contact with factories from China. And again, this is all pre-internet, so it was a lot like stumbling around in the dark trying to figure yeah. stuff yeah. out. Um, but uh, then I worked for Dark Horse for a couple of years, and, and I, I just thought, you know, I, I think I would just rather try to do this myself because I didn't want to be bound by the the choices that uh, Dark Horse was making. And I had also done a couple of pieces for DC Comics and Marvel, and I just wanted to devote my time to uh, figuring out what this was because I knew that uh, what modicum of success that I was having, I knew that before long, I was going to be up to my eyeballs and competitors and other companies wanting to do the same thing. So for a while there, I had uh, the whole market to myself because 
no one was really doing what I was doing. And uh, so it was it was a nice it was a nice time to be a sculptor because <laughs> the economy was good. There was lots of characters that hadn't been done, and uh, uh, it was it was a ex- very exciting time to uh, to do things like that. But you know, basically, what it boiled down to was that on the first couple of projects we did through Bone Designs, I, I made. Uh, double what I was making as my my salary at Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought, hey, you know, I think this might be something we should uh, follow up on. <laughs> I, think we, I think this resin stuff might have a future. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it uh, what got the ball rolling. Fantastic. Well, if we fast forward to today, can you give us a bit of an idea of what a, a typical week is like for you at Bowen Designs? Sure. Um, for me, I have a I have a studio in my home, and I have a studio at my uh, office warehouse. Um, about once a month, we have a, a production meeting um, because one factory will be ahead of schedule. Most factories we use will be behind schedule, so we're having to constantly adjust um, the workflow based on uh, how things are at the factories. But I mainly try to stay out of the, uh, the day-to-day operations at Bowen Designs. I, I try to stay at my house and just uh, get sculpting work done. Um, mm. But a lot of it is uh, art direction. I'll get photos in from uh, various sculptors, and I do, uh, you know, I, I Photoshop that I'm, you guys have probably seen on Statue Marvels how yeah. I give. Uh, art direction, you know, and sometimes the, the, the members at Statue Marvels give me art direction. So <laughs> it's kind of a two way street. Uh, some, some more, uh, kind than others. But, uh, <laughs> for the most part, I'm just sitting around sculpting and I pop into the office every once in a while when new samples come in and, uh, I go down and approve things. Uh, I do my, warehouse guys will have statues laid out for me and I'll come in and I'll, you know, sign 50 at a time or something like that. I'll check on my, uh, my hand painter. His name is Randy Lambert. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy going, uh, you know, unless we're doing, uh, an exclusive or something like that and the phone's ringing off the hook and the, the office staff is going crazy and pulling their hair out, but, other than that, that's that's pretty much how it works. Fantastic. How do you think that the um, advent of digital sculpting, how, how has that changed the way that you work? Um, it's 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 almost the same, actually. It's it still comes down to how something looks visually. The um, one of the the downfalls uh, of the digital stuff is that. Uh, you know, and it's not seeing every single angle. Like hmm. when I get a traditional sculpt in, I'm seeing every single angle. Sometimes I'll get a print in, and uh, and I'll I'll rotate it in four positions, but it's between positions four and five. I go, oh, there's something I didn't see, and so I have to go back in and and change it. But the nice part about the digital is we can do a shrinking Ant-Man, for example, mm-hmm. print it out at the different sizes or do a flip the, the pose to, uh, when doing a costume so they make a nice 
display presentation. You know, you've got almost mirror images, but in different costumes. Yeah. Um, so it, ultimately, my plan is to uh, learn how to do uh, ZBrush, and and uh, because it it really is the the whole. Not only is um, the creative aspect changing, but the production aspect is changing as well. In that uh, China is, you know, their economy is booming right now, and pretty soon it won't be uh, the cheap labor that we've been used to. It's going to be <laughs> the production will probably come back to the United States when we're verging uh, yeah. uh, on third world status. Uh, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, Hopefully, a new technology will come along so that uh, it, maybe factories, instead of being a hundred people lined up painting these things, maybe it's going to be color digital printing on me. Maybe mm. it might be something where I just design the piece here at home, and then you can download it as someone would an MP3 on iTunes. Yeah, you, know, you never know. There may be people printing at home, so. Uh, it's it definitely got my attention, and it's something I need to learn about. But uh, my heart is still with traditional sculpting. I just I love I love moving clay around. It's just it's a different process. Um, yeah. I don't know. How do you guys feel about the uh, digital versus traditional sculpting? Look, hmm. I have a a rather huge Bowen collection, as my wife would. Attest in loud voices, um, and I, d I don't know that I can tell the difference. You know, like I think that m my initial reaction to uh, the first couple that I saw being developed um, was like, "Oh no, this is going to be different. It won't be as good." Um, I definitely read people who you know think there isn't as much detail, but I don't agree with that. I look at something like um, the uh, the Banshee um, statue, which was a digital sculpt if i'm if i'm not mistaken and um Correct. you know that that has got an amazing amount of detail in it um you know and it's a beautiful beautiful piece so um you know the process obviously is different and but yeah i i think it could be managed in a way that would make it not as comparable but the way that you manage it to me you know it doesn't it doesn't detract from it and i suppose one of the positives is that you know, you can look at it and make changes to it more easily if you mm. if you find something's not quite right. You know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I can't tell a difference really uh, myself. Um, I mean, I think it comes down to you know, if you've got a, a good artist, then then the right tool, you'll get the right product. But I, I can certainly see the advantage uh, in the digital sculpting. Certainly, when it came to Beta Ray Bill, and I can remember seeing the prototype, and and there was a comment that Marvel uh, had asked. That, that he'd be sort of thickened up in through the chest and the arms and, and just seeing that done as, as quickly as it was using the digital process, it's quite remarkable. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, some things are much easier, and especially uh, for machined items like uh, an Iron Man armor, the symmetry and, and all of that sort of thing is, is much easier in, in digital. But I, I don't mind doing a blend of the technologies either. Um, we did a, uh, oh, what is his name, uh, the uh, Mohawk version of Gladiator mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Jason Smith did. He did the figure, and then I did the base traditionally. Um, bases are fairly 
easy to, to make just by scratch building and sculpting. So when you when you're faced with, okay, do I spend a thousand dollars to have this rock printed up, or should I just smash some clay together, you know, for ten dollars to make, make this physical thing? And that that's the other the only other downside is that the uh, digital prints right now are still very expensive. Mm. Um, so you really mm. have to uh, it has the project has to warrant the process. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question is how do you actually go about making the decision on whether to get someone like Kura Malavi to, to do a digital sculpt versus asking you know someone like Mark Newman to, to do a traditional? Well, it, it comes down to several things. A, a budget is, is one thing. Mark charges more than uh, Karam does for a digital, but I have to weigh what's the overall cost. In other words, uh, I have to add the, the molds and the, the digital prints themselves plus the, the, the fee that I would pay Karam. But with Karam, that guy is, is a machine. I have to, someday I hope to meet him and make sure he's not a, a like a, a, a T-1000 robot or something because he, he's always sending me stuff. I won't even ask him to do things. He just comes up with it and goes, hey, what do you think of this? Like, oh, man, you're making this difficult to say no when it already exists and I don't, and I don't have to do any art direction. And, but that goes for traditional pieces, too. A lot of times guys will just say, dude, have you seen this thing that this guy has? And it'll be a guy's first sculpture or something like that. And uh, for my first question, is it the right scale? And then how much do you want? Uh, to, you know, for us to be able to buy the, the rights to produce it. And so a lot of our pieces happen that way. They'll peep, so I get these frustrated messages on, at Statue Marvels going, what? this is a travesty that you have not done, you know, the 70s Ms. Marvel before you were doing this guy or, you know, whatever. And it, a lot of times if somebody sends me a piece that's already done, I go, you move to the head of the line, baby. <laughs> whatever, whatever is done, because there are so many uh, hiccups in the process, whether uh, a mold is not made properly or a project gets lost in the mail or a sculptor's late or the factory screws something up, there's a million different little things that happen along the way that can slow a process down. So if I have another project that I can fit into another slot, then that's what we try to do is uh oh, okay. Have you actually had sorry, have you actually had projects get lost in the mail? Um we have. They ah. usually turn up um one time um I've and I've actually been called upon to salvage projects for other companies. Uh this friend of mine, his name is Bob Chapman, he has a company called Graffiti Design. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. They, they did this big uh, Doc Savage fighting a anaconda snake ah, or something yes. like that, yes. and it was beautifully sculpted. Um, oh God, I'm blanking on the the guy, the sculptor's name, but anyways, beautifully done. Uh, he shipped it to Bob Chapman, but it arrived in in about 350 small pieces. Oh my goodness! And so he shipped it to me, and I. Put Humpty Dumpty back together again, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, go, I go. You know, 
I'm I'm an idiot. I should have just let this go, and then I could have, <laughs> you know, looked looked said, oh, well, this guy doesn't obviously doesn't know what he's doing. You know? <laughs> no, it was such, it was such a, a beautiful sculpt though that I just I wanted one for myself. So <laughs> happy to happy to fix it. Oh goodness me! <laughs> so I guess you don't have that issue with digital sculpts. No, no. There's the only the the one of the. And this just happened not too long ago. Um, one of the hard things about the digital stuff, when it's when it's a museum standing pose, it's very easy to say, okay, print this at you know 11 inches tall or you know from head to toe. But when it's in a crouched action pose, mm. there's not you know you have to there's a lot a lot of calculations that you have to do if this guy were standing up, how tall would it be? So. Um, I made some measurements on on just the head of the other figures that exist in our line and uh, said, okay, make this an inch and a quarter from chin to top of cranium. But then I got the prints in, and they look like action figure size, very very small. And I went, man, how did this happen? And, and it was close, but it, it's one of those things that uh, until you see it, it's hard to know what the – perceived size is going to be, Mm. as well as, you know, there's also going to be another generation of shrinkage in production. It's about, I think it's 0.7% or something Mm. like that for every time a mold is done. So sometimes uh, even environmental factors, if if they're having a lot of humidity in China on the day that they're making molds and and it it can affect the amount of shrinkage in the molding and casting process mm-hmm. um so, so i guess just you know moving forward w- one thing that um we're aware of from your fantastic communication about what you do with marvel is that your license um, works with them in what you call phases can you just explain a bit about how that works because people are often confused and um it seems to be a pretty important part of the structure yeah, I just I I came up with phases instead of saying, you know, this is the the lineup for 2010, 2011 because our uh what I what what a phase in my mind refers to is every time we renew a contract or have a new contract, that's the next phase. And because they run in in two-year segments typically with a with a 9-month sell-off period. So are uh, the end of this coming phase uh, ends in on December 31st, but we'll have a 90-day sell-off period. So uh, typically what happens is uh, probably around uh, August or September, I'll get a call from Marvel saying, hey, are we going to renew again? I got, and then, then it becomes the negotiation. And what we try to do is make it a... a a continuity so that there's no, you know, year and a half gaps in production mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's, you know, they, they don't want to lose us as a licensee and I don't want to lose a license. So we usually work things out at the end. Um, but that's basically what, what all these phases are. And, and there was actually a gap in the phases. Boy, this was, I can't remember what year it was, like 1998 or something like that. They had given the license to another group to do, so we didn't do Marvel stuff for uh, a couple of years. So it's easier to say phases rather than uh, yeah. specific years. 
Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. One of the things that I really um, value about the way that you uh, operate is that you are so open in your interaction with uh, with fans, and particularly at, at Statue Marvels, where you, where you've based yourself. Um, what does that mean to you? You know, obviously you do it by choice. So, what does that interaction mean to you, and and what positives does it bring to the way that you operate? Well, it's it's a uh, it's a group of people that are very passionate about what they want, and even though I'm I'm pretty well versed in in not just Marvel comics, but in a wide range of comics, even underground comics and uh, Disney comics and all sorts of things. I'm, I still may not know all the uh, detail backstory for Moon Knight or for Thanos or something like that, you know, because I'm a fan as well, and I have my favorite characters, and I know, like, like for example, I'm a big Thor Hulk uh, daredevil guy those are my my favorites hmm. but uh it I, I it doesn't mean i know everything about quasar and what the you know his uh origin of his bracelets and what might be a cool <laughs> element to plug into the base of something and mm-hmm. that's where when we start posting uh preliminary sketches or rough sculpts or something like that and guys will say, not the short cape. It has to be the long, you know. And I go, okay, well, settle down, guys. It's just the statue. We can change it. Case stay calm. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. So it's, it's, it's a, it's having a, uh, what do you call it? Like a focus group, uh, of people who are just super into this stuff. And, and yet I, I have to take it with a grain of salt because they, the, they are the biggest fans, but sometimes they're so close to a project, to these statues, that they don't know the difference between a wildly obscure character and something that's closer to mainstream. Hmm. Uh, in other words, something like uh, like Quasar to them is like he's a major character. Why he should have been done? He should have been your third statue you came out with. Mm-hmm. It's like, sorry guys. Most people don't know who Quasar is, and so and they get kind of insulted sometimes. But that's just the that's the fact, and and uh, we have to balance between doing the obscure stuff and the well-known stuff because the well-known stuff is the stuff that uh, I think I'm using the word stuff too much. I'm trying to refrain, <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's the type of things that we make our bread and butter on, mm. on yeah, doing yeah. X Men, Spider Man, Hulk. Blah blah blah, but uh, uh, it's and I love the obscure stuff because to me I would rather do a uh, oh like Mojo or something like that than uh, the eleventh Wolverine statue. But well, hey, Wolverine brings home the bacon, so we have, <laughs> we have to pay attention uh, yeah, to, the, yeah. to those mainstream characters. Yeah, you're amazingly patient uh, when it comes to the the negative feedback. Is that something that you've you've just sort of come to terms with? Uh, I mean, one particular one that comes to mind is when uh, in one of the Q and A threads, um, someone f- phrased a question, and your response was uh, was simply, "If you rephrase the question politely, I'll answer it," and then you moved on. So, yeah. is that 
Is that something that you've sort of come to terms with, or does it still rile you up? I wish you hadn't brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 as long as they're not uh, uh, assholes about it, I'm, I, you know, I can, I can, I, I. Let's put it this way: I remember the negative stuff uh, far more than the positives. And, uh, and of that course. goes for, for when I'm at a convention or something as well. When when I when I have the kudos all day, it's it's very nice. But I I, I do listen to the people, even if they're being jerky about it. I just think, oh, the, the poor lad, they they weren't raised right. Whatever. <laughs> they, they, some people just have never been been schooled in mm. tact. Mm. And uh, that's and I understand, you know, it's a faceless. Uh, they can say anything they want, and and you know, I. But when I usually when I meet these people, they're they're very meek mm. people, even though they say I suck online or something <laughs> like that. In person, it's a different story. But for the most part, uh, especially with statue marvels, it's it's uh, it's constructive, and I I don't mind people saying it's not my cup of tea or. I wish he'd done this version or whatever. They're just telling me what they want, and uh, this is not this stuff is not fine art. It's 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 almost like um, I mean I try to bring art to it, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm making people's uh, fantasy about a particular character. I try to make that come true for them. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yes. Um, I, I want to, I don't want to necessarily do what I like. I want to make these guys happy with, with uh, what they're otherwise, what's the point? They're not going to buy something they don't want. So yeah. we can make it a little closer to, uh, to what they're looking for than, then I've got the world's greatest focus group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that um, has been a, a topic of discussion lately is just the number of mini busts that are being produced at the moment, and you, um, you know, have uh, obviously there's some financial um, issues ar- around that. But what do you see as the future of the mini bust for Bowen Designs? Well, we're going to try to keep. Uh, Continue with the the minibus line, but uh, I've and I've said this online before. They just uh, the the production costs keep rising higher and higher and higher to the point that uh, uh, it's just not as profitable as it used to be. And our energy is better spent on the things that uh, make more money. Um, what we we the route we may go is just doing sets of minibus as teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to make a little more financial sense so that we can do a Guardians of the Galaxy set or mm-hmm. a original X-Men set or whatever because then we can we can get the price down per bust. Yeah, you're spending more for uh, a group of busts, but then the per uh, minibus price actually comes down a little bit. Uh, so that's the direction we, we may go. But we're we're constantly looking for different sources uh, do these things. But that's, you know, when we first started these minibus, they didn't have arms. They were fairly simple, fairly small. But when you get into larger characters with wings and clear flame and, you know, laser shooting out of their head and things <laughs> like that, they, they become almost as, as expensive to produce as a full-size statue. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough sell when you, when you have a minibus that, 
they start to go over the hundred dollar mark, that's uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Hmm. So, but we're going to try to keep doing them as, for as long as we can. So when it comes to sort of a full-size versus a mini bust, what what decides which way you actually go with a character? And I, and I say that because I, I'm not a mini bust collector at all. I, I think I have two, um, two mini busts. And, and, for example, with something like um, The Son of Satan, which um, I think on the secondary market goes for obscene prices, Oh, does it? I have one. I don't show That's an example uh, of where Randy made that decision just to spite me as a collector. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I did, I'm doing some reverse research here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now that's sometimes it, if there's a character that I'm unsure about doing a full size, uh, we'll float the idea by doing a mini bus first. And that that is one of my favorite mini busts. Oh, it's awesome! Oh, and and mm. that's that's a character that I loved as a kid, and it's mainly because my uh, grandmother would freak out every time she would come over and see a Son of Satan comic book lying on the counter. So I made sure to go, "Oh, Granny's coming out! I got to uh, let me put the Son of Satan out." Just just to get a reaction, but uh, but yeah, no. Some, sometimes we'll do the uh, the obscure mini bust uh, because we 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 don't know if someone will shell out a, a, a couple hundred bucks on a on a full size statue of an obscure character. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep patiently waiting then. Yeah. Well, I would love to do Son of Satan. That would be a, a great one to do. Hmm. How, with your licensing with Marvel, I think I understand that you you seek approval for a list of characters for the phase. Is that correct? Correct. So how do you work that out? I just uh, um, a lot of times we'll I look at the polls on Statue Marvels and uh, say what do you guys what do you guys want for the upcoming phase, and then they just start listing off the characters, and then. Uh, uh, God bless them, the guys who will tabulate all of those results. Hmm. And not that I use it uh, as a foregone conclusion of what I'm going to do, but there, there's a lot of times when I, I'll have no, like when we first did Deadpool, I had no idea Deadpool was as popular as he is. <laughs> and I wouldn't have known that without a lot of this feedback from uh, Statue Marvels. Um, so yeah, it's it's mainly coming up with a, a list of as many characters as I can think of uh, at the time, and uh, I'll I'll also talk to friends of mine like Brian Bendis or guys that are working on the comics, and they'll go they'll give me the elbow and say, "Dude, there's a big Valkyrie story coming up this year that's going to blow your mind." And so if they tell me far enough in advance. Then I can have a statue uh, ready around the time that the the book is coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that plays into it as well. Or if there's a movie, you know, it might yeah. uh, put a put a character on a list that we may not have uh, planned on doing. Huh. So, and obviously, not everyone on the list ends up getting made. Correct. Okay. So. 
So when you look at your, I guess, the, the Marvel stuff in particular, what, what's a piece that you are really proud of? What's something that you, you still can look at and be really happy that you made? Um, well, I don't – I'm looking up at my shelves, and I only have maybe 5% of everything we've done. Um, Doctor Doom is one I always come to uh, – Daredevil, Iron Fist are, are ones that I did specifically. Uh, Silver Surfer, the one where he's holding the, the surfboard at mm. his side, mm. uh, I think were successful. Those are of the ones that I did. I, I really like the uh, oh, Son of Satan uh, mini bust. And, uh, oh, I should be looking at my website. I forget all this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's... Uh, some of Tim Miller's female sculpts are, mm. are, are stellar and things like that. But, you know, to me, I've been doing this for so long, and, I, and, I, and it's such a, a business element for me that I don't even think of in terms of what my favorite ones are. It's mm. just it's the, my favorite ones are the ones that are the least trouble. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if we have problems in production or a, or a sculptor is late with a project, then it then it, I, then that becomes part of my memory yeah. of the piece. Yep. And so I'll, I'll look at a piece that looks, it's a great sculpture, but I remember, I'll remember what a pain in the rear it was to just to mm. get the thing and get it molded and produced or uh, like, uh, but sometimes it's, it comes down to even troubles with factories. A factory will, will be, you know, be six months late, and then we find out that the factory went out of business. And uh, we have to track down and get our molds back and things like that. And those things just—that's what gives me a stomachache. Yeah. Yeah. Do you actually have a favorite piece of your own? Um, you know, I—I I don't really have a favorite. If if I have to name a, a favorite, probably be the Death Dealer statue, just because of the connection to Frank Frazetta. Yeah, and yeah. just the memories I have of that, um, and also maybe Doctor Doom because uh, I was corresponding with uh, John Buscema shortly before his mm. passed away, and he was giving me some you know pointers on on uh, how to make it look you know like his flavor of, of uh, character and things like that. Fantastic. But, uh, yeah, no, the ones that are my favorite. Favorite again are the the ones that are the least amount of trouble, or the ones that are, <laughs> they go through the approvals process quickly and, and things like that. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. One thing that I've noticed about um, the way that you seem to operate is that y- you seem to have a, a pretty good balance in terms of you know you're not trying to take on a hundred different licenses and and be the biggest company ever um you know what what's your philosophy on how you manage things and the size of the business and your work-life balance i guess excellent question <laughs> um it's uh it's mainly i i i like to sculpt and hmm. uh when we try to take on too much i became i end up becoming more of an administrator and that's that's one of the reasons i left dark horses i i wanted to be a sculptor, not a guy who just handed out assignments and did art approvals and things like that. So Marvel is has just the right amount of characters. It's a deep well of, of characters um, that that I, I, I love these characters. And uh, um, 
we've been lucky enough to be doing this for I don't even know how many years now, almost maybe 16, 18 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a it's been a, a great uh, living for me. I I don't have to travel very much. I get to to sit around and uh, you know just do this all the time. Um, and if I, if I was trying to be sideshow, I think it would be. Uh, I don't think I would be as happy. I, I just, mm-hmm. my I, you know, my daughter sees me every day, and I, I I'm always around. So, uh, you know, it might change uh, eventually because uh, uh, you, you never know with contract negotiations and things like that. Mm. But uh, it's it's uh, I, I think if I I tried to do much more than this i don't i think i would lose touch with with what i'm doing and uh i'm i'm sure there are people who can can, can separate uh with, with their business and their art and things like that i'm just not wired that way i just i can only focus on so many things before uh everything starts to fall apart yeah, i think that demonstrates a real self-awareness you know that um and it comes through in the way that you that you communicate in the way that you run the business and that's a an admirable thing that a lot of people aren't actually able to achieve to just kind of know their limits but also know what actually is going to make them balanced and happy well my dad says it's laziness but um, (laughs) (laughs) and i think he's he's probably closer to the truth than i am but I, uh, no, it's attention to detail. It's, that's right. Uh, that's right. It's being with with my child. And no, it's. I. It, but seriously, it's. Uh, it would make me crazy if I if I had to fly around to licensing shows and do all of this. To me, this is this is the. It's sort of the path of least resistance. But I think if I uh, tried to take on too much, I, I I just seriously, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be enjoying myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of, of which, what what do you do to get away from it all? If you sort of had a bad day with licensing or factory delays, etc. Uh, I well, I, I I sketch quite a bit. I ride my motorcycles. Uh, uh, occasionally, my daughter and I will will do some paintings. Uh, walk my dogs. Work out. I, for a while, I was making knives. I made these, you know, custom knives and things like this, and uh, that was fun. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I this is mostly what I do. I I, I sing occasionally, uh, but you know that's that's usually after uh, one too many cocktails. <laughs> not, not saying it's good singing, but it's it's fun. <laughs> we, we've got it that's good <laughs> are you proud of us for not asking you about our pet characters <laughs> what oh, oh, oh. yes <laughs> yeah, very much appreciated <laughs> I thought it, it, it was certainly a great opportunity to go okay Randy Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu come on had his own title for 123 issues what's going on well, see, I think that would make for for great uh, pod. Uh, if, uh, you know, and actually, I was I was going to do a, a Shang Chi a couple of years ago because I was uh, I was in Hapkido classes, so I was on this martial arts uh, uh, 
kick. And then and then when the Iron Man movie came out and we sold uh, over 3,000 Iron Man statues, I went, you know, I think I'm going to put Shang-Chi on the back burner. No! <laughs> or Tony Stark. But you, know, you never know. It might end up being the last piece I do. Um, but because I've already got the base planned out. I'm, I, do you know what food dogs are? There's, they're food these dogs. stone uh, animals that you see in Chinese oh, art yes, all the time. There, and they usually have them at the entrance to a palace or something. Yes. Like that. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, I was going to have Shang Chi in just a you know a, a martial arts pose with his uh, uh, you know just doing some kind of kung fu move and. Uh, yeah, so I'll say I'll, uh, maybe oh. I'll post a sketch of what that looks. With it. That would be awesome. You're killing me here. <laughs> that would be awesome. M- mine's even more. Well, I don't think it's more obscure, but I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Monica Rambo, the second Captain Marvel. Um, oh, my least favorite character. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so mean. I've actually, I've got, I've actually am s- slowly paying Karam Alavi to do a commission for me because I know you're never going to do her. <laughs> Um, oh, you know, you know, if it was the kind of thing it was done, I would, I would probably go for it. It, it. Just, just because I know I can't, I can't judge this stuff on what I like because yeah. I have uh, some obscure taste as well. Not, not counting the the big three that I mentioned to you. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But I think she would go well with the other uh, characters of that era and the other. You know, Captain Marvel yeah. version that we're doing. Yeah. Oh well. Do you I'll... see her in in pearl or in chrome? Pearl. Uh, yeah. How do you see her? That. that I, I I was gonna say pearl. Okay. Yeah. More yeah. than yeah. than chrome. Yeah. But but um I I'm doing an interview, hun. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I knew she would forget. <laughs> oh wow. Um. Well, yeah. Like. Because I, I promise you, she would sell because she, you know, she's. I mean, not 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 Iron Man sell, but um. Wait a minute. Are you willing to put that in writing? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll buy one. But I mean, I think that from a from a completist perspective, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people. She gets asked about a lot, but also, you know, to a lot of people who are Avengers, um, completists, you know, she she's actually like in the top. 10 in terms of number of appearances as an Avenger. Um, and no kidding. Yeah. So like she, she was an Avenger for a very long time and a leader as well of the team. And, and, you know, she's, she's not on the scene now, but she was a huge, huge character in that, you know, in that book. So you you really, well, what should... is, I think that one of my aversions to her was I, I so liked the Jim Starlin, uh, Captain Marvel in it. And then I thought, who is this? <laughs> Captain Marvel. And what is she doing in a pearly outfit? Is, you know, I just, so I, I just totally rejected her. I don't know anything about the character or even what, she, how she's related to Marvel or or any any of that sort of thing. So, what what's her deal anyway? How did she get? Did she was she just inspired by Captain Marvel? Is that how she uh, came to name herself that, or how did that happen? Uh, I think actually the. The Avengers named her, I think, or maybe I'm not sure the media named her, but she was. It took her a long time to actually be comfortable with the name. Um, 
and but you know she had a she was part of that kind of 80s avengers team with um star fox as well and um mm. but, but she they mentored her and she was a reserve member for a while but then you know she was in secret wars and she became a you know a member but she it was actually captain america that that said to her you actually deserve this name and marvel would be proud for you to you know, to, to, to have it. So, well, if Captain America said it, then it's gotta be, <laughs> gotta be on the money. <laughs> but she was an interesting character because she came, like she was a, a member of the, uh, New Orleans, like water police, I think. And she got zapped by something and that's how she got her powers. And so she came oh. totally from outside the, you know, that, that kind of world. And it was just interesting. And also, you know, besides, I mean, well, Storm's not actually African-American. So the first really significant African-American female, you know, character in a comic book. Um, and, uh, yeah, you should do her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, consider it done. (laughs) I've got that on my order. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Hey, if, if Karama's work, you know, I should check now is, was she always just called uh, Captain Marvel, or did was did, no? Did she, she was she called Photon. For a yeah, long? she yeah she was Photon for, for a long time. That's because um once once Marvel came back, she she gave the name back to him, and um so now she's well Photon, um but sometimes just Monica Rambo, um so but she, she's got a new outfit now. But I think people would want the classicy, you know. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, I I always um, lean toward the. The, the classic. Well, and that's the other weird thing about our contract is that it's name based. So technically, if I just have Captain Marvel on our license, I can do any version of Captain Marvel. Awesome. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, but if I, but for example, if uh, let's see, um, it, it, but if I call out. Uh, Steve Rogers, then that means I not only can I do Captain America, but I can also do Nomad. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's a it's a it's a tricky way that they dice up the the licensing. But it's or or for example, we had uh, Norman Osborn on the character list because we wanted to do uh, Green Goblin, but he was also the what's he called? Uh, Iron Patriot. Iron Patriot. So that's. And then when I saw that that character was going to be in the the next Iron Man movie, that's that's why that thing got pushed to the the top of the list. Yeah, mm. fair enough. Hey, what if I did uh, Shang Chi versus Monica Rambeau? Would you guys lose your minds? <laughs> as long as Monica wins, that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, she hey, could, hey, hey, hey. She could just, Monica could just nuke him from space, and uh, he'd be fried in seconds. I love it. I think I know. Maybe I can just do Monica in a pile of ash with a like a little sash yeah. on the ground. I'm hanging up now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my favorite bit of the conversation. Thank you very. Much. Yes, yes, very good for you. But I, I might might use those questions just because people who listen to us know that we're always on about that. So. <laughs> oh, 
No worries. No worries. <laughs> well, look, Randy, thank you so much for making the time to chat to us today. We we really appreciate it. You are, um, you know, have been the top of our list in terms of who we've wanted to to chat to, Ben and I, and we're really glad that that's finally um, happened, and we really appreciate mm-hmm. you making the time for us. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, very intelligent questions, and you have an excellent taste in uh, statue collecting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, look, Randy, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back right after this with some feedback before we wrap things up for good. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you can make them fly or jump or crash or walk. Superhero action figures over seven inches tall. Each sold separately. Superman, Batman, Incredible Hulk. You can make them do their thing. Even make Spider-Man slide down a string. Lots of action for one and all. These superhero action figures each sold separately. Batman, Superman, Incredible Hulk, and Spider-Man each sold separately by Mego. All right, then. Thanks again to Randy Bowen for his time, and well done, guys. Thank you. It was thank you. Now, before we finish off, we have some feedback from our listeners to share with you. If you'd like to hear your questions, comments, or suggestions on future episodes, email us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com and you may just hear it read out. Now, Ben, you've got our first piece of feedback tonight. Yeah, thanks, Eli. Um, we got a tweet from Ben Kane who says, I just finished listening to your show for the first time and just wanted to say it was great. Looking forward to future episodes. Well, thank you very much, Ben. We appreciate that and just have to say, great name. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, who's your favourite host? But, yeah. Mm. Oh, like it would matter. <laughs> it's very important to me, Ben. Yeah. I just meant, you know, his name could be like, you know, Ralph and, you know, still pretty much a given. What you're saying, Eli, really is it's a desperate cry for a fan mail. That's, that's, isn't it? I uh, haven't, haven't received any yet. Oh, I just, cost, del- I just delete them. Oh, it cost me a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> I bought 30,000. <laughs> <laughs> I find your ideas intriguing and wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> hey, I've got it. There's a new iTunes review. Get out of here! I know. Which country? Australia. Argentina. No, I've given up looking. Um, this is from Dark Arbite, um, <laughs> and it's a five star review, uh, of course. And it says, as a new selective action figure collector, it helps keep my compulsive buying under control. When I hear the podcast, I don't know how we could help anyone keep their compulsive buying under control. <laughs> Are you listening? Are you sure it was the right show? Anyway, um, when I hear the podcasters talk about the new additions to their collections each week, since I'm new to collecting and I only collect aliens and predator figures, I like to keep in the loop about all action figures in general. Action Figure Blues tells me the history of some of the older action figure lines and some of the new action figure lines that are on the pegs. I'm just in time for the 50th podcast. Well, in fact, you're, you're being read on it. And I hope that there will be plenty more to come. Thank you, Dark Arbite. Woo-hoo. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. That's I not guard from the podcast from the forum, is it? I. It's possible. I have no. Mm. Idea. I'm not sure. Um, and just, I, I highly suspect that he is a Warhammer Forty Thousand fan. Oh. <laughs> um. While we're on the topic of feedback, we do love getting your emails. Um. Some of the emails that we get are ones that are hard to use on the show because they're really long. Um. And so. 
sometimes we can edit them down, but sometimes that's hard without losing the the thread of what you're saying. So we love getting your emails. We can't reply to them all. Um, we would love to be able to read them out on the show, but if you want to have it read out on the show, it's best to kind of keep it short, keep it to a couple of comments or questions. Also, would you get a fair few emails asking us about specific uh, toys, either what they're worth or um, where to find them. There are some great forums like ours, which is Action Figure Blues Forum, afbforum.com, or even our Facebook page. There is a little community that posts on there as well, or other forums on the internet, which are probably the best places to do that. That's not something that we can help you with just via email. Um, so just thought I'd mention it because we do love getting your mail, but we'd love to be able to read more of it out. Um, and so we thought we'd tell you what we're looking for. Hmm. We are definitely willing to help out. Oh, we'll definitely help out. And our forum is a great place for that. There's a um, a lot of lovely people there that know a lot of the stuff that you're asking or where to find it. Um, but, you know, either post it on the Facebook page where we can respond to you there or other people can respond as well or come join the forum. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the ones that, that say, hey, I've got this old Green Goblin figure. Do you know how much it's worth? Well, we, we, we really can't help you. No, just just... Just send it to us. We've got a postal address and um, we'll see what we can do. I require to inspect this in person <laughs> before I can give you an appropriate valuation. If you could also deposit the money in there for us to review it as well. See, I'm nice. I'm, just, be, just be glad it's me reading the, the email and not Eli. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did, did we switch over to the Bizarro AFB podcast? <laughs> All right, guys, shut up. I want to go to bed. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the end of episode number 50 of the Action Figure Blues podcast. Subtitled Eli Gets Tired. Yeah. Mm. I need a nap. Yeah, well, I mean, you're 50, so it's hardly surprising. I'm no more 50 than you are. <laughs> We're all 50. I'm not quite as 50 as you. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you already, you're already announced my age on air a couple of episodes ago. No, you? I I announced what it was once. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Oh, okay. You'll be able to download future episodes of the podcast by going to actionfigureblues.com and clicking on the podcast tab or by subscribing at iTunes. If you do go to iTunes, please take the time to leave us a positive rating and review. We don't care which country it is from, so... Get rating and reviewing. <laughs> yeah, we're not picky. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, you might like to check out the reviews and articles there and perhaps visit some of our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, Shelf Life, and popculture.com who help keep the site running. When we're not podcasting, blogging, or doing other assorted hobby-related activities, you can find us all on the Action Figure Blues forum at afbforum.com. I post there as Dozy Muppet, Scott posts there as Scotty, and Ben posts there as Fish Milkshake. I'm still almost getting Scott's name wrong, but there you go. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you with any comments or suggestions for future Toys of the Week or discussion topics, or if you've got any hot leads on an interview, then uh, we're all ears. You can do it by emailing podcast at actionfigureblues.com or by joining the AFB forum and telling us there. You can also follow, follow Action Figure Blues on Twitter uh, at the AF Blues account and like the Action Figure Blues page on Facebook at facebook.com slash actionfigureblues. Well, that's the end, guys. Ooh. Congratulations again. 
Woo-hoo. Happy 50th. Happy 50th. Yes. And thank you to everybody who stuck with us. Yes. All two of you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's three. Okay. Few. <laughs> I think my mum's given up by now. Yeah. That's she, nice, dear. She's terribly old. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. All righty. Thanks, Good everybody. Night. Good night, Argentina. Bye bye. Alrighty, you, you got your your best and Ben. Oh, I'm nervous. <laughs> should be. Look, I've got such a collection of ands on file now that if it goes really bad, I can always drop a better one in. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Alrighty. You can even just like have John do and, like <laughs> no matter who's doing it. John says and, and the person says their name, even whether he's on. That's that's. Probably worth investigating. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. He could be the official end of the AFB podcast. Hey, this is the old art farmer, Tim Bruckner, and you're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast. On, and if you'd like to have your rapid fire review read out on or uh, played on episode 52 of the <laughs> yeah, that's what we're podcast, do. Well, send it in and then we're going to read it out. That'll be really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> can, we might want to just edit this out. And can, can we edit out Scott eating his dessert as well? I'm oh, sorry, is it noisy? Oh, really? No, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's fantastic. Sorry. I'm talking away and it's like clink, 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 clink. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm finished now. It's, it's just, it's so oh, good. Good. I'm, I'm thrilled yeah. for you. Yeah. Mm, That's right. Go on. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I it, trust it, you guys. It sound a little bit, uh, you know, together when you're talking to Randy. Uh, no, it was pretty much like that. So basically, <laughs> the, the AFB podcast frowns on the enjoyment of desserts. That's what you're saying. While others are trying to speak, certainly. All right. Fine. In five, four, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm done now. This is Tim Bruckner, and you're listening to the smooth and groovy sounds of Action Figure Blues Podcast. Right. <laughs> Just pick up the tonight we celebrate. All right. Because <laughs> you, you also said 50th weird. So yeah, I did. 50th. Thanks. 50th. Thanks, man. I've had a couple of drinks. <laughs> tonight we celebrate our 50th episode. I'm afraid I was, I was incredibly drunk. <laughs> oh, we survived by eating poisonous monkeys. <laughs> what? <laughs> You want to be more powerful than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Well, then listen to Action Figure Blues Podcast. Tim Bruckner says so.
Tonight we celebrate our 50th episode with a very special interview with Misty Rand, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Mister, Mister. Misty Randy. Misty. I, I think I've seen a film with her in it. I don't know if she told you. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think it wasn't she an Olympic something. So anyway. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Action Figure Blues Podcast. Tim Bruckner says so. You'll be able to download future episodes of the podcast by going to actionfigureblues.com and clicking on the podcast tab or by subscribe. How do you do that? (laughs) It's painful. <laughs> you want to be dedicated because when you hear the, the snap of that latex glove. Oh! <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I've had just about enough of you kids. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, it's a giggly teenage girl again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. I don't want to get in trouble from Eli two times in a row. The last one was scary enough. (laughs) Mate. How did we ever think we could do this in 30 minutes? Quick recap. Fuck to find out. This podcast was brought to you by the Big Top Network. Network.